This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 406th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're bringing people another one of our investigations. Looking forward to it. Yes, this is a small town in Florida called Felsmere. We'd never heard of it, never been there before. But we definitely enjoyed the tour that we got there. It was kind of a paranormal experience. They talked a little bit about how you do paranormal investigating, and then we got to investigate two locations. So we'll be talking about various haunted places here, plus our investigation of both of those places. And the really cool thing is that the man who hosted us, who headed up this group, his name is Larry Lawson, and he's a former police officer and detective, which, of course, for us, gives all of these stories a little bit more credence because they have a lot more to lose talking about them. Absolutely. They were a fantastic team. I really enjoyed investigating with them. Plus, since he had been a detective, he knew how to go about doing an investigation. While we were in the process of producing this episode, getting it edited and writing it up and all the research and things like that, we heard from one of our listeners about a friend of theirs who knew a family where the father was killed and he was a police officer that just happened, I think it was like last week. And she was wondering if we would dedicate an episode to him. Well, Kelly and I also just happened to have had a blue alert come across our phone last week because we had a nearby police officer here who was shot and killed and the suspect was on the loose. And that's why they had a blue alert. It's like an amber alert. And we thought, you know what? This goes on all over the place, all kinds of cities, big and small. And so we thought we're going to dedicate this episode to all fallen officers and their families. And if you have anyone in your local area, usually they set up a GoFundMe for either the entire family, medical bills, or even for their children for a college fund. So we suggest that maybe if you guys are looking for something to send some of your charitable dollars to this month in honor of Halloween, why not send it to some of the people who help to keep us safe over Halloween, the police officers out there? Absolutely. We greatly appreciate all first responders. And I just wanted to mention the police officer that she had talked to us about. His name was Nick Reisner. Now, we're going to share with you the haunts of Felsmere. But before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Faith, Tim, Ken, Lori, with just an I, Yana, Charlie, Fran, Ryan, Rennie, who spells their name R-E-N-N-I. And then we have two Michaels. There's Michael R. and Michael J., And I believe that's how he says his name. He spells it a little bit different. It's H-A-L-E at the end there. Thank you for joining us in the Spooktacular crew. And now this moment, Noddity. 
The moment in oddity was suggested by John Michaels. Octopuses are amazing creatures, and we must admit that we have a soft spot for the legendary kraken. There was a legend about a kraken connected to Tacoma, Washington. And while that really is just a legend, there is a fascinatingly weird thing going on here with octopuses at the Tacoma Narrows. The giant Pacific octopus is the largest known species of octopus, and they can get up to 50 pounds. They are highly intelligent and recognize human faces. They can even taste you and identify you with their tentacles. A legend claimed that a king octopus weighing 600 pounds lived under the Galloping Gertie Bridge in Tacoma. This was actually the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, but people gave it this nickname because the suspension bridge would move when the wind blew. Those winds finally took the bridge down on November 7, 1940. Those ruins still are down in the water, and they provide hiding places for the Pacific octopus, because octopuses can squeeze themselves through any opening at least the size of their beak. And that certainly is odd. This is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. And now, this month in history. In the month of October, on the 6th in 1866, the Reno brothers carry out the first train robbery of a moving train in U.S. history. Previous train robberies had been of stationary trains. Trains oftentimes were carrying very valuable things. Not only were there people on board with money and valuables, but trains transported precious minerals, cash, and sometimes even gold and silver. The Reno brothers started a bad thing when they figured out that if they stopped a moving train in a sparsely populated area, they wouldn't have to worry about the authorities interfering. When word got out that the Reno brothers got away with $13,000, this method got very popular. The brothers hit an Ohio and Mississippi Railroad train while it was traveling through Jackson County, Indiana. Soon the railroads got smart and started putting valuables in massive safes with armed guards watching over them, and they even sometimes carried a boxcar of guards and horses. By the late 19th century, train robberies were a thing of the past. Lawson is the founder of the Florida Bureau of Paranormal Investigation and runs Indian River Hauntings, which hosted this event. He introduced himself and his team, Mark, who is vice president of the Indian River Historical Society, and his wife Val, Candace, and Tina and her husband Spanky, who is Larry's right-hand man. We spent most of our evening investigating with Spanky. 
And like Diane said, the thing we really liked about Larry is that he's a retired police officer, which gives more credence to his investigations. He was a detective in Felsmere before he retired, so he knows the city. And like us, he understands the importance of knowing the history in order to understand the hauntings. He comes at this from a scientific and open-minded skeptic base, and he investigates with respect. Here, Larry shares some of his personal experiences. I saw my very first full-body apparition as a brand-new corrections officer in the Dade County Jail in 1980. Yes, I'm older than Dirk. And I was just sitting in front of the console. Uh, there was the, the had three wings walk away around the entire the, the entire floor and I'm sitting in the control booth and I'm looking down the middle wing and I, I just see somebody walking by. Nothing opaque or ghostly about it. It was a person and I thought it was our lieutenant sneaking up to catch us sleeping or whatever. So I hollered at the guys behind me, Captain lieutenants on the catwalk. They went out of the back of the booth. One went right, one went left. And the stairway was right behind the booth. So he had to come up that way. It was the only, or the elevator that was right in front of him. There was nobody out there. Oh, lost and those that this place is haunted anyway. And that was my first experience. And I didn't think too much of it, you know. Young guy, I was just barely 20 years old. Starting my career off, you know, I went to police academy, hit the road. Strange things happen when you're on the road. Something out of the corner of your eye, a burglar alarm goes off in a building and it's, nothing should have made the alarm go off. You stop a car at 3 a.m. and something tells you, wait for your backup, you know, go in a building and wait just for a minute. Just Little things like that, but nothing really big happened until uh, it was April of 2009. Uh, my oldest son, Ryan, wanted to go to St. Augustine. Have you ever been to St. Augustine? Hey, yes. that, is the, that is the place to go. Um, we had an event at the old lighthouse there. If you're familiar with the lighthouse, three little girls died during the construction of it, and it's reputed that they've haunted the lighthouse ever since. And to make a long story short, Ryan and I went through the first tour at the, in the dark of the moon, went through this, came back, wanted to do it a second time because we had so much fun. Ryan was just turning 10 or 11. And the guy said, well, you've been here first, you've been here before, and I got a small group, so I'll tell you what, I'm gonna take them to the lightkeeper's house. You guys can have the lighthouse to yourself in about an hour. Ruby. So Ryan and, I are the, we're, Ryan and I are in the lighthouse, and we're sitting like on the third or fourth floor, and suddenly we heard the girls laughing. So being a cop, the first thing I'm doing is looking for wires and speakers, right? Nothing. The town of Fellsmere is named for Nelson Fell, who founded the town in 1911. The smear part means watery, swampy place. He had come from New Zealand during the first Florida land boom of the 1880s. He had been educated in England as a mining engineer. Fell bought a large parcel of land known as Cincinnatus that had been owned by a newspaper magnate. His goal was to make Fellsmere a county seat and a hub for farming. This was to be the gateway to the south. Fellsmere was officially incorporated in 1915, and two years later, Fell left and never returned to his namesake town. This was the first town in the area to have a power plant, electricity, and phone service. And fun fact, this was the first town in the South to allow a woman to vote, which happened in 1915. There were some men who heard about it and demanded that her vote be nullified. But the townspeople took up for her, and the vote remained. And even with this town being the first to have electricity, a power plant, phone service, and all that, it slid backward in prosperity after huge rains in 1915 flooded the whole area. 
Muck farming and growing sugarcane were the main industries, with the first sugar refinery in Florida being built in Felsmere around 1932. Citrus would become the main form of agriculture here, though. And just so people know, Felsmere, it was about two hours south of us. I believe so, yes. Yeah, so the reason why citrus does a little bit better down there is they don't get quite as cold as we do here. Because we do get cold here, Kelly. (laughs) All right, (laughs) if you say so. (laughs) Since Felsmere was down and out, and yet a stop on the way to the south, this became a place for 'er ne'er-do-wells, and it was a rough place for a while. The town of Felsmere is today around 80% Hispanic, and they brought many of their customs with them. This is a very spiritual town, with many haunted locations. We got to investigate two locations on this evening, but before that, Larry shared some of the haunted places with us. Kelly, the first place he talked about was Ditch 13 Gallery and Gifts, and we actually drove past this because it was right there on the corner. We met up at a restaurant, and this was on the corner a little ways away. It's a small little building. It's kind of cute. It looked like it had some Spanish influence to the way it was built, kind of like the restaurant that we're going to talk about in a little bit, too. I don't know what they call that upper peak that you get like at the Alamo. It had that kind of look to the front of it. Oh, the curvature? Yeah. Yeah. Nikki Rouge owns this business at 46 North Broadway Street. And this is a local artisan's gift shop featuring offerings by talented locals such as homemade jellies and jams, ceramics, intarsia woodcrafting, stained glass, carvings, jewelry, fine art, and more. And the owner here claims to have had paranormal activity with things moving around. Then something else that Larry shared to us after he talked a little bit about this. His son wasn't able to join us, but apparently he's sensitive like you are, Kelly. From the stories that Larry shared, I would say he's more sensitive than I. (laughs) It almost seemed like he could actually see things, not just you kind of get a feeling. Right. Whereas he could actually see them. And he's going to share a story here about a property where the oldest house in Felsmere once stood. The section foreman's house, this is the oldest building in Felsmere. Uh, this was right on the rail line and just where the, the train crew switched off. It was actually a duplex. Family was living in it until about 2010. And that's what it looks like now. They moved it about 200 yards to the, uh, to the uh, west. And they were, they were supposed to actually rebuild the train station, but it never materialized. But they fixed the building up anyway. That building wasn't haunted, but the property around it was. And this is when I first saw that my son Evan we're out there investigating when the building looked really bad before. And we didn't get anything inside the building. But Evan is standing there. He's 14 at the time. And he's just staring. Evan, Evan, Evan what's wrong? What's wrong? They're staring at us, Dad. Who's staring at us, son? The Indians. They're, they're behind the trees and they're staring at us. Now, my son's normal, okay? I mean, he's a very bright young man. Uh, Turns out this whole area was filled with Ice Indians, who are the people that lived here during the, the period of time. So that was the first time Evan ever gave the indication of, uh, of something going on. So that's pretty cool that he saw all these Native Americans standing on the property there. Very much so. Then Larry spoke about the Felsmere Inn, located at 107 North Broadway Street. It's the oldest hotel in town and was built by Fell in 1910 and had 11 bedrooms, six full baths, and three half baths. The barons of industry in the local area would meet here and enjoy drinks and cigars while discussing business. And Sunday nights would find cars lined up down the street with people coming for Sunday dinner. Fred Vandeveer bought the property in 2005 and he restored and renovated it. We found many listings through the years for the inn being up for sale. Right now, it appears to be a private residence. 
The owner has experienced some strange things here, and he wanted Larry to come investigate. But his wife put the kibosh on that. Yeah, so I don't know if she was afraid they were going to stir more activity up or what have you. So Probably. Unfortunately, Larry wasn't able to give any of his own personal accounts about that. But if the owner's saying, yeah, I'd kind of like you to come by. We've got some strange things going on here. Next, he talked about the Marion Fell Library. The Marion Fell Library was started by Nelson Fell's daughter, Marion. The building was constructed in 1915 and is a quaint little place. Activity reported includes orbs appearing in photographs, temperature drops, and disembodied footsteps in empty rooms. Larry used to be able to investigate here, and one night they saw something pretty creepy. Kelly, I don't know if you've ever seen these things, but you know these ladies make these homemade crafty cloth doll things that are like hollow on the inside. They just have a head at the top, and then it's like a a draping down kind of dress, and you can put them over a broom or a mop to kind of conceal the cleaning implement yes i have (laughs) so i guess they had one of those in there over a broom or a mop or something in the library and one night while investigating someone saw it move and they ran out of the building dude run (laughs) (laughs) then paranormal investigator brian kano was here and he had investigated with a group of people and tried what i would kind of call a tulpa experiment to see if they could cause something to manifest and it wasn't necessarily an apparition to manifest, but an EVP. So what he had people do is focus on a word. So he asked everybody, what word do you want to do? And they said, how about banana? So they thought about the smell of bananas, the taste of bananas and the word banana, but nobody said it. You know, they just said it that first time about which word should we focus on? Then they did an EVP session after that, and they all heard the word banana. And Kelly, that's the first time I'd ever heard of that kind of an experiment. But you know how synchronicity runs around this podcast? There's always something that links in, whether we get an email from a listener who says, you were talking about this particular place, and I'm listening to it just as I'm driving past it or something. Exactly. Well, I'm listening to an episode of Ghost Magnet, and it was from like three or four weeks ago, but I was just now listening to it this week. And there was a couple of little bits of a synchronicity there. When we did our live show in St. Augustine, we talked about haunted Victorian houses here in Central Florida. And one of them was the Rhinauer, which is more famously known as the Seven Sisters Inn. But it's closed down, so it's not called that anymore. So I was familiar with that place. And lo and behold, the woman who owned it, I think her name was Maria, was being interviewed by Bridget on Ghost Magnet. And so she was talking about all the hauntings that have gone on there. And I was like, oh, I wish I would have listened to this before we did our live show because I would have had some insider information about her own personal hauntings. And then she shared that Brian Kano came there and did an investigation and they did this really cool experiment. And she goes on (laughs) to describe the exact same experiment that Larry told us about, only the word that they used for this one was bird. So they thought about bird. Everybody pictured birds in their mind. And then when they played back the EVP after the session, it was the word bird many times in different languages with different people's like female, male. So I was like, whoa. Pretty incredible. So guess what experiment we're going to be trying here in the future? Gee, let me guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I want to try that. But I thought, what synchronicity? I've never heard of this before. And then we hear it from Larry. And then I also hear it on this other podcast. It's very cool. Very clever of Brian Kano. I really like his stuff. He's a he's a good investigator. Felsmere Cemetery is host to the spirits of a woman and child. One evening, a police officer was there about 15 years ago to lock it up. He saw a woman and a child walking in the cemetery. He started to walk towards them, and they disappeared. A deputy sheriff pulled up, and upon seeing the look on the other officer's face, he said, 
You've seen them, haven't you? Apparently he's seen them too. (laughs) A medium that was part of Larry's team had been in the cemetery, and she said she felt that there was a woman there with a child who was not hers, but she was taking care of the child. And I believe this was before anybody had told the medium that they were actually there. So that was pretty cool verification. And it's nice to know that, you know, possibly if there's a child wandering around, that there'll be another spirit that actually takes care of them. Yeah. So then we were off to the first location that we were going to get to investigate. This was the old schoolhouse, which is also served as the city hall. And we were very excited that we were going to get to investigate because I don't think we've ever investigated an old school before, have we? Yeah, I don't think we have. The old schoolhouse was built in the early 1900s and opened in 1917. This is the oldest masonry building in all of Indian River County. The school closed in 1980, so it was around for quite a while. It stayed empty for a while and then became City Hall and then the police department. The police department moved out into another building, so this is now just City Hall. They offer classes there and the Boys and Girls Club is in the basement. Larry said of the hauntings here, We don't know why ghosts of children seem to inhabit the school. There were no deaths or tragedies documented in this building. One of the theories is that when people die, they go back to where they were the happiest. One night when I was locking up here, in front of me I saw an arm in a flannel shirt. Just the arm. I can't explain it, but I know that it happened. They've seen lights coming out of the walls, and they've seen shadows. Now before we got over to the old school... Larry had gone over to have a police officer unlock it. He was going to go through, turn on all the lights, take care of all of that stuff while his secondhand man, Spanky, was showing us the different equipment and telling people how it worked and everything like that. Larry brought us into the old school and he explained the layout to us when we were on that first level. And then our first stop was going to be in this small little theater auditorium that they had. And it had these two like double doors that closed for, you know, to keep it closed or whatever. And we ended up having what we think was probably our first unexplained experience here. I just opened it. I just, I just opened it. Oh, my God. You don't understand. I just, the guy, the officer came and just unlocked it. And I just opened it. Just as you were coming up, I unlocked it. Wow. A police officer unlocked everything before we got there, and Larry had to call him back to get it unlocked. Then Larry shares some of the experiences from their previous investigations here. That room over there, we've had a lot of activity. Mark Holt, uh, the folks that are still waiting for me back at the marsh, got an EVP in there one night. There's a little boy in this building we call Billy. Don't know if that's his real name, but we call him Billy. And ask him, he's still got his phone, he can let you hear it tonight. Clears a bill, you hear the voice say, Yes, sir. Uh, or, I mean, perfect. Ask him, ask him to play it on his phone for you. So that happened in there. We've seen shadows in there. I had a, a professional photographer from a t- uh, newspaper in there one time, took a picture of a big orb sitting on a chair. He couldn't explain it, he couldn't explain it as dust or anything, and it actually filled up a whole chair. Uh, this room here is where I became a believer in portals and, and uh, spirit boxes because it was in this room here. A group from uh, West Palm was up. They had a portal. And that portal, when I asked where we at, Felsmere. Waited a couple seconds later. Where'd you say we were at? Felsmere. 
if it was a radio station we heard, I would, if it was West Palm, Orlando, even Melbourne, I wouldn't have thought too much about it. Nobody knows about this, man. Twice that machine did it. So that happened in this room. We've had a lot of other EVPs in this room, downstairs in the basement. We've had things on our SLS cameras that we've caught. Once again, spirit box, all kinds of things happen. I mean, I can sit here and tell you days. My son unlocked that door one day, came down, Ryan, my older one, came down all ticked off because he was trying to lock it up after an event one night. And he's not like ever, okay? He's, Ryan's very stoic, very factual. What are you, what's wrong, son? They're laughing at me. Why are they laughing at me? I couldn't get the key in the door and I could hear them laughing in my ear. You will hear kids here a lot if you're quiet. The key to this building is quiet and listening and letting this place drink you in. So don't, don't let it drink you in. Let's, let's put it a different way. I don't want to become part of the building either. Just let it happen. Nice and quiet is the best thing to do with this building. I got so many stories. One time I saw an arm, I was locking up, and I saw an arm in a red flannel sleeve flash by me. That was just the arm. That kind of freaked me out. The elevator. The elevators will go up and down on their own. Some of them Bangs. We've heard bangs. Oh, there was a huge one when I walked in. So, I don't know. Maybe the cleaning lady. The cleaning lady. The cleaning lady has seen the kid downstairs. Handprints show up. She called me up here one day after um, Memorial Day 2016, all upset because she cleaned this place. She cleaned all the windows. And she came and got me at 8 o'clock in the morning, dragged me over here, and there were little kids' handprints right on that window there. And nobody had been here during the weekend. It was a holiday weekend. So she was all upset about that. I mean, we could regale you with stories all night, but you want to investigate. So I'm going to get it ourselves. And you heard in that audio that we just played me mention in there that a woman's EMF was going off. It did several times, as did the meter of the woman behind her. We could kind of see him off to the side, Kelly. So we were watching that and I'm like, something's going on on that side of the room. Yeah, and it was going on for a good portion of the time that we were in that room. And yeah. there was nothing around them. No, and it wasn't like a constant as if there was some kind of EMF. No, definitely Something not. going off over there. And I think they even phone ran something against the wall to make sure. And Larry heard a loud bang in the elevator and no one was in the elevator. Now, in that audio there, he also mentioned that they'd captured this EVP. I think it was probably several years ago. They played that EVP for us before we wrapped up the entire evening. So here I'm going to play back what that sounded like for you guys. Well, I walk up to the landing right near the elevator and there's Mark and I don't know who else is with me. I don't even remember now. But they're like, I said, did you guys come downstairs? No, but you got to hear this. And this is what we got. First time I ever heard Larry say, oh, shit. It was a a good one. It was good. Um, You'll hear me say, do you spend a lot of time in this room, Billy? And directly after that, you'll hear his response. This room here in the auditorium. Is this your favorite place? Do you spend a lot of time in this room, Billy? And now I'm just going to isolate the part that has the little boy for you to listen to. Do you spend a lot of time in this room, Billy? And here it is one more time. Do you spend a lot of time in this room, Billy? Yeah, Kelly, I mean, to me, it sounds like a little guy saying, yes, sir. I agree. 
Larry left and Spanky handed out dousing rods. We've never used the rods as a large group with one question being asked and several sets of rods answering. It seemed to work okay with the rods all answering the same, including pointing in the same directions when we were asking where the spirits were located. But then there were other times that somebody would get a yes and another person would get no and we're like, is this multiple spirits talking or what's going on here? So I'm not sure I'm really a fan of having multiple people doing it at once. I'd I'd prefer to just have one person. I think ultimately they were just trying to give everyone an opportunity to see what it's like to use them. I mean, this was called a paranormal experience. So it definitely was kind of a introduction type of thing. Absolutely. But I was like, well, this is probably our only chance that we're going to get into these places in this little town. So we'll go ahead and do it. And, you know, even though we've got the experience and stuff. Then Spanky fired up a spirit box. I heard you are. You are? When you ask St. Lucie County? Yeah. But if we are, you are. You are. That tells me. Yes, after he asked if there were kids there. Sounded like an older kid. Larry joined us again as we headed to the basement and he told us another quick story about the building. Chief of police, one of the city council members, the head of the um, Boys and Girls Club, a few other city leaders, and the department chaplain were in that room there. I'm sitting at my desk next to the police department minding my own business. The chief walks over and he says, Larry, you need to go to the school now and check out the door going from the conference room into the, into the auditorium, which is that door right there. Why? Because they all sat there, including the department chaplain, and watched that door open, close, open. Right. And we've, yeah, we we've actually had, that we've actually had seen things in that doorway. Really? One of the many stories. The basement has a lot of activity relating to children. The elevator is fairly active. Are you hearing anything with that elevator right now? No. No? Okay. Okay, so historically in this building, many times we have heard like somebody took a piece of wood and slammed it against the aluminum inside the elevator. A really loud bang. When we know for a fact nobody was in the elevator or on the floor below or above, 
That happened many times. Well, while we were just in the auditorium, I heard the door slam downstairs, and I came walking out in the hallway, and I saw Larry coming up the stairs. I said, oh, it's you. I heard the door slam downstairs. He said, no, that's not what you heard. I just heard the banging in the elevator. The, the, the Boys and Girls Club, some of the people would be down here late at night and just get the elevator work on its own. They'd hear the kids laughing. These yeah, are the, go these up the and down by itself without nobody pushing the button. We haven't ever had much luck with REM pods on any investigation we've been a part of, but here in the basement, the REM pod went crazy. Larry checked the batteries just to make sure that they were fresh because it was so crazy it seemed to be spazzing out. And then it went off again. Mark, you want to do a DVP session at the same time we're doing models? I'm getting locked over there by the coffee machine and stuff like that. You're getting over by the bag. Yeah, I'm down. Thank you. Thank you. Put the antenna up. Antenna's up. Hello. Hi. Thank you for letting us come in here. Are these batteries white? They might just be spazzing out. Yeah, because I feel the spazzing. Or what? Yeah, it's a good setup. Alright, I don't know. Batteries are fresh, I just checked. Can you touch it again for us, please? If you're still in the room, can you touch that again? Thank you. Thank you for... Communicating with us. The, kid, the kids are always down here, so <laughs> can you step away so it'll go off? Can you step away from it for us? Can you come over here for me? Come over here. So it'll stop stop the lights. Yeah, that's that's awesome. We need you to step away, please. And have it go off for a moment. Then it felt like the kids left. Later, Larry would tell us that there was an adult, maybe a teacher, who seems to have some control over the kids. The REM pod went crazy again when we went up to the first floor, and we were envisioning the kids playing and running to touch the REM pod before the teacher would stop them and things would go silent. Yeah, so it was really interesting. We were getting a bunch of activity, and then all of a sudden it was like dead. And it happened both in the basement and on that first floor, so... To me, it seemed kind of plausible that there was someone telling them, stop, behave, stop messing around, whatever you're doing. Did one of the kids come up here to play with us? Thank you. Thank you. Are you right here next to me right now? Is that you, Billy? I just asked for it to point. 
It's pointing over by you. Larry then told us a story about using a DR60. For those of you who listened to Astonishing Legends and you've heard their series on the Sally House in Kansas, you heard them play an EVP of a creepy scream. It was very chilling, to say the least. I listened to that. The problem is DR60s are notorious for playing back really creepy things. Some in the field don't think that they're reliable for that reason, but others swear by them and think that they are more able to pick up stuff, and that's why you get so many creepy kind of things. I will say that a creepy scream coming across a DR60 is kind of a normal thing. I don't know what it is about it that causes it to do that, but it has happened several times. And maybe it's legit, maybe not. I've never used one, so I can't say for myself. Here's what happened here at the old school. I'll tell you guys a story that I don't tell very often. You remember Rob? Oh, shoot, he was on Ghost Hunters International. Rob, um... Last name starts with a D, I think. Yeah, Demers, Rob Demers. Rob used to come up here a lot, and uh, he brought some biosolinery, he said, from New York. And my son and I brought him in here one night, and we were upstairs, and we were using a DR60. Now, DR60 is a special kind of a recorder that was made back by Panasonic back in the 90s. You can't copy it, it's just a straight dictation recorder. But you can hear crazy things on it. We were upstairs and we encountered an adult with the kids. And we got some very strange stuff off that recorder, calling the, the woman that was with us a, a B word and things like that. And uh, that's the only time in my life I've ever felt something actually knock me down. And it was really, really strange. But that's the first time we also realized there's an adult here with these kids. And we think it's a, a teacher, an assistant principal, something like this. As soon as she started talking about the adult being with the children, it was going nuts. Okay. So I think that's who's here right now. And I think that that, that entity has kind of kept the, 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 the cover on the kids. I think that's who's here right now. And I think that's why that went off, because the kids were able to do something before this other one stepped in. Huh? <laughs> they ran up here, and as soon as they turned it on, they stole flying. Yeah. And then he came in and showed that. I don't know. I mean, just speculation, but. Yeah. And where it came up with the. Is somebody upstairs? Not that I'm aware of. Is anybody upstairs? Yeah. Yeah, I did. What'd you, what'd you hear? Shh, or something like that. Yeah, there was something, there was something right upstairs. Kelly and I didn't hear anything above us, but Larry and another guest did, apparently. There were five of us that went into the council chambers, and it would be in here that two of the women would get a small scent of lilac, and it was like it blew in their faces. And then Kelly and Spanky smelled it, too. I didn't smell anything, but I was off in a farther part of the room that was dark, and I was kind of focusing on this closet back there, because you know me, I'm always trying to get things to manifest in a color, so I was trying to find the darkest place I could. Sure. But it was very interesting because you had these two women and both of them were investigators. They weren't, they were part of the team and they were just like, wow, I got the scent of lilac and Spanky's like, well, I wonder if it's a air freshener that's going off. And he's looking all around to see if there's something that shoots off that. I did notice that there was some hand sanitizer there that had what looked like lilacs on the outside of it. 
I opened it up though, and it didn't smell like what I had smelled exactly when it suddenly appeared in my face. It was really odd because you didn't even need to move away. It was just there and it was gone. And what I had pictured in my head was someone with a bouquet of lilacs and literally going from person to person and just waving it in their face because it was there and gone so quickly. And that's kind of the way she described it. She said it was like something kind of blew it in her face. Well, if you shove a bouquet of lilacs in (laughs) somebody's face, that's kind of what it's going to feel like if it's ghostly, I'm assuming. So I thought that was really fascinating that they both were like, whoa. And then I would say you guys were probably about 20 feet away from them, 30 feet away. Oh, gosh, at least. Yeah, because yeah, we you were, were across on, the room. Yeah, two parts of the room. And then all of a sudden, both you and Spanky went, wait, I smell it, too. Right. It went, and then it was gone. Yep, it was there. And then it went away. And then I got it again as I moved to a, a slightly different part of the room, but not over by them. Mm-hmm. And then just standing in that same spot, all of a sudden it was gone again. And the key thing here is I was in the room, too. I was in that farther part of the room, but then I did come into that part of the room because I wanted to see if I could smell it. And I was looking around to see if we could find any air fresheners. I didn't smell lilac at all. So weird. (laughs) So for four of you to have smelled it and I got nothing, it means she wasn't letting me smell the bouquet, I guess. Or whoever was waving it around. (laughs) No flowers for you. (laughs) Like no soup for you. (laughs) But I thought that solidified it because I'm like, if it's an air freshener shooting something off, I'm going to get some kind of a scent of lilacs. Sure. And for people who don't know, I have a really intense sense of smell which yes. sometimes is not a blessing it's a curse <laughs> definitely so it's one of the reasons why I didn't go into the field that I wanted to which was going to be criminology because I'm like I can't I don't think I could handle the smell I, I honestly did not think I could do it so no decaying bodies for you for me yes <laughs> for me not to smell it is just very weird Okay, now we're going to talk about the Marsh Landing Restaurant, which was originally built in 1926 for the Felsmere Estates Corporation. And then it became the headquarters for the Florida Crystal Sugar Company, which was here through the early 1960s. City council meetings were here in the large main room, and the police department occupied the north end of the building. And some prisoners were held here awaiting transportation to the jail. And these were within walking distance of each other, the old school and then the Marsh Landing restaurant. So you can see how we had the city hall police department here and then it moved over to the old school. A concrete vault held important documents for the corporation. The building was sold, boarded up and given to the city back in the 1980s and sat empty until October 1995 when Fran Adams bought the building at public auction. She refurbished an open Marsh Landing restaurant in November of 2002. Much of the building is still original. The wood windows and door frames were made from cypress trees that were logged locally and cut in nearby lumber camps. The wainscot around the interior walls had a nice golden hue and is the original tongue and groove ceiling. Most of the doors are original. Staff have reported seeing the apparition of a woman wearing a white dress walking across the restaurant in a residual manner. And they've also seen her staring into the street when they close up for the night. They've also seen shadow figures and watched chairs move on their own. The blinds have rolled up and down by themselves. The owner of the restaurant, Fran, saw some weird stuff when they were renovating. She witnessed the woman in white float from one wall to another and then disappear. Fran also tried to talk to the woman with no luck, which is why they think this is residual. Larry himself saw the woman in white. He said a deputy sheriff was here taking a photo in the same spot, and I looked up and saw a woman in white standing in the doorway. 
The sheriff did not see the woman I saw. So that's really weird, too. I know what I saw. I saw a woman standing there, and then she was gone. I went and got the security camera footage, and there was no sign of the woman. So literally, she only appeared to him. A woman in purple was snapped standing in the doorway of the women's restroom. And Kelly, this was a picture that he shared with all of us. And uh, it looked to me like there was really somebody standing there in purple, but it was not so defined that it was like a real person standing in the doorway. Right. No, you could actually see the paneling behind her. Yes. And she had what looked like a Victorian style dress Mm -hmm. on. It was beautiful. And he also showed us the photos before and after. Yeah, because they were taken in a sequence. Yep. And she was only in one of them. Yep. It was very cool. That was probably one of the coolest photos that I've ever seen, I think. Yeah. Generally speaking, I think most people know, especially if you're in our spooktacular crew on Facebook, we poo-poo a lot of photos that we see because I just don't even trust them anymore because there's so many different apps you can use to make up things and stuff and put things in pictures. But this really did look like the real deal. And I, I trust Larry and his group that this wasn't something that was, you know, staged. Yeah, they were very down to earth and they weren't about making things seem more exceptional than they were. No. And as a matter of fact, to me, they do a lot more debunking than most other groups. It's like we totally doubt it unless we can completely convince ourselves that it was something weird. I agree with that. We would end our evening of investigating here. A small group of us headed to the bar area where the holding cell had once been and did a spirit box session.
Then we just let the box go for a while without asking anything, and we got this. Sounded like there's a monster. <laughs> yeah, Kelly, it was interesting because, I don't know, I think when I have the headphones on, I can understand the spirit box a lot better than when it's just playing to an open room. So I really was not getting much of anything off of this. Even when I listen back, like, you know, I always like to ask if they can manifest as a color. It sounded like it said yes. I asked, you know, what's your favorite color? And it sounded like yellow to me. Well, when I was listening back to the recording later, I'm like, nope, that wasn't yellow. It was something else. So when I heard that, and we didn't hear it at the time, I just heard that when I was listening back to it later. And I'm like, oh, that sounded like something saying there's a monster. And when you get something that's not just one word, it's even more convincing that it isn't something that just got played across the radio because it's not going to go over that many bands. Right. It's flipping through so fast. Yeah. It's not It's not on any one station long enough to get a sentence. So I thought that was kind of cool. There's a monster. There's a monster. Yeah. And I was like, where the hell was the monster? And is it referring <laughs> to us? Was it behind me? <laughs> <laughs> then we went into another room where three Spanish women are reputedly hanging out in the afterlife. One of the women with us spoke Spanish, so she asked some questions. And as I was telling the guests that were with me, uh, a while back, it's been years now, um, I was able to communicate with three Mexican ladies in that room. Uh-huh. And back then, how we got them to communicate, it was like nothing. It was dead. No rod action, no talking on ghost box. And I went, boy, it's really hot in here. And the ladies, I had three older ladies with me, and they were like, oh, you're having hot flashes, huh? <laughs> And the next thing you know, over the spirit box, we heard laughing. Oh, that's funny. And then we ended up having a conversation. And one of the ladies was Spanish, so I had her talk to him. And we had a whole conversation that night. Well, tonight, we were able, I had somebody that could talk to him in Spanish, and they were giving us answers again tonight. Uh, so were you guys hearing the answers to the questions? I mean, I didn't understand them because it was in Spanish. And to give you this tidbit, too. If you're going to say, yeah, oh, well, there's Spanish radio stations around here. We did not pick up any Spanish radio stations in the front room. When we went back there, there was Spanish coming out of the spirit box. Okay. Yeah, and I'm not sure if we got anything through that spirit box. We thought some of the stuff coming through might have been Spanish. It was just really hard to tell. And she was hard of hearing, so she couldn't hear anything that was coming through as an answer. So I'm not sure we thought maybe we were getting some Spanish answers back, which is kind of cool because I think that sometimes when you go somewhere and you're conducting an EVP session or doing spirit box or something like that, and we always just assume, well, we'll just talk English and everybody understands the English. Maybe in the afterlife, we don't all speak just the one language. Right. And also when we were in the bar area, none of the words or sounds coming through sounded Spanish at all. Exactly. So it what you couldn't say, well, there was probably some Spanish radio stations in the area and we were just picking up some of that stuff because we didn't hear any Spanish in there. All in all, I felt kind of like the restaurant didn't seem like it had a whole lot of stuff going on in there. But again, when you're with a large group of people, it's harder to do investigations to like anything that I recorded. I listened to see if we got any EVP, but I really wouldn't have trusted it because you had so many people talking in the background and whispering and I just wouldn't have trusted much. 
Sure. And just like any place, you can go there multiple times and have a completely different experience every time. So just because we're there wanting to interact with the spirits doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to want to interact with us. (laughs) Absolutely. And as we know, there are places that people go on and on about how haunted they are. And then we go and it's like, I always bring up the old Charleston jail. You know, people say that place is haunted as all get out. And I'm like, well, I've been in there many times now. And I'm like, "Mm, haven't really had anything earth shattering that I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's haunted for sure. But they were a great group of people. We had a great time. And I always love going to these small towns in Florida because it gets us familiar with them. It's places I never would have gone to. That's key. Definitely. This is why the paranormal is so important. Because I would have never gone to Felsmere if it wasn't that I was going to check out some haunted locations. And now I know more about this area that I would have never known before and met some really cool people. Indeed, we did. We had a lot of fun, met interesting people. Are these locations in Felsmere haunted? That That is is for you to decide. And Felsmere, to give you kind of a better idea of where it's at, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Vero Beach in Florida. It's a little bit down the road from there. I think they're in the same county or very close to each other. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We got some great feedback about the Haunted Guam episode, Kelly. We heard from Anne. She said, hi, Diane and Kelly. Hafa Adai. I hope I said that right. This means hello in tomorrow. I just finished the Haunted Guam episode. It was a delightful surprise to see the title in my podcast feed. I very much enjoyed hearing stories from what my mother just called Guam, America's best kept secret. I love that. My grandmother's tomorrow and lived on Guam until she married my grandfather. Subsequently, they moved to the mainland U.S. and returned back to the island about 10 or so years later. My grandmother is very skeptical and does not partake in any talk of the supernatural. So I've missed out on the ghost paranormal stories of the island. I do know of the Tao Tao Mona. The definition of these beings is very fluid, and I think we kind of found that out too. They are presented as the original venerated ancestral spirits of the island, or you could get the boogeyman figure used to scare children into behaving. And I put up on Instagram a piece of artwork that I found on DeviantArt of someone's interpretation of what a Tao Tao Mona looked like, and it's kind of a scary looking thing. Thank you so much for sharing a part of our culture and history of the island with the HGB community. It made my drive to work thoroughly enjoyable. And she said she didn't even mind the red lights because then she could listen for longer. (laughs) Excellent. And her birthday is October 1st, the same as the History Goes Bump podcast. So happy belated birthday. Yes, happy belated birthday. And Renee commented that she had just listened to the Haunted Guam episode and she had to call her mom and tell her to listen too. She lived on Guam when she was a child. My grandfather was stationed there during the war. She loved to tell stories about all the creepy stuff that happened while she lived there. And she mentioned, great episode. I wrote back saying, thank you. Please apologize on our behalf about our mispronunciations. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we got stuff wrong. We got an email from Jonathan, and it was in reference to our Chicago Fire show. He said, I'd heard the Chicago Fire was started by some gamblers who were partaking late into the night and someone got angry for being fleeced. The lamp was knocked over and fire started and they all ran away. Hard to tell, but if you Google these, there's a man who on his death said those words. Wow. So maybe it wasn't just, I think the original story was that a cow or something kicked over a lantern and it started the fire. So that seems like that's more probable that guys were getting into a fisticuff about gambling and Definitely. here you go. And it seems normal that you just take off running because by the time it lit up, they probably, there's nothing they could do. So they're like, oh, we're going to get in trouble. Let's get out of here. Alana let us know that she's really been enjoying the podcast. 
She listens almost every day when she's getting ready for bed or getting ready to go to school. So thank you for listening, Lana. We appreciate that. Great. Thank you so much for spending your time with us in your ears. (laughs) We want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. Now, we're going to share with you the haunts of Felsmere, but before... God, why can't I, say... I can't say, but before... <laughs> the town of Felsmere is named for Nason. Nason Mason? Muck farming and growing sugar cane. Muck. Hey, mister. That's enough. Shush. <laughs> stinking bird (laughs) and sunday nights would find cars lined up down the street with folks coming folks there's some folks coming by they're gonna have a little sunday dinner we got some fried chicken this was started by ness this was i don't know why i can't say nelson nessie nessie was floating around the library one day the wood windows and door frames were made from cypress trees Cypress trees. (laughs) You know, when I hear you saying the wood windows and doors, I just all of a sudden start hearing the haunted mansion (laughs) with no windows and And no no doors. doors.